following is a member of the Growler Media Podcast Network. Find out more at growlermedia.com. Ming's not unbeatable. With all his men, he couldn't even kill Flash. Gordon's alive! Welcome to Flash Gordon Minute, presenting your hosts... From Minute of Darkness and the Cosmic Geppetto Podcast, Brad. And introducing your intrepid explorer of Planet Mongo, Eric. We're at Minute 34 of Flash Gordon Minute. Eric, how you doing? Ugh, Brad, I have a repetitive drumbeat banging in my skull. It's worse than that Cars for Kids ad song. Just execute me already and put me out of my misery. <laughs> Ah, oh, crap. Now I got the Cars for Kid ad stuck in my head. <laughs> I've, I've, I've got a different song stuck in mine. Sorry. What what, 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 what song? song do you have? Okay. Come into the edge of night, oh lord. Sorry, talked about drums. Fair enough. All right. <laughs> I think this is going to be the second time we've talked Phil Collins on this show. It doesn't even make sense. <laughs> yeah, right. We discussed against all odds way back in the beginning, right? Yeah. What the hell? <laughs> Phil Collins is everywhere. He is. He is. So, uh, as everyone heard, uh, Jake from Dark Knight Minute is back. Jake, how are you? Great. Flew in on the rocket cycle this morning. Life was great. I'm happy. So, I got to ask um, in regards to Dark Knight, uh, Dark Knight Minute, uh, Dark Knight the film specifically, the, the the middle piece of that trilogy. And when that came out, it was um, pretty universally praised as one of, if not the best superhero movie of all time. And uh, the amazing performance by Heath Ledger as the Joker. Uh, how do you feel the movie's age? Because that movie's now, what, 10 plus years old? Um, begins is... Came out 2005, Dark Knight. Oh, what year did that come out? Now you're making me question everything. Um, yeah, it's been a couple of years. I think it's still aged great. You know, something still worth, you know, watching. Great performance by, you know, Heath Ledger as the Joker. One of the now iconic um, Jokers of on-screen acting. Because when I think of Joker, there's two people I think of. Heath Ledger and then Mark Hamill in Batman the Animated Series. His voice is just it's beautiful you know it's the clown prince of crime <laughs> and he just he just he gets it he nails it every time definitely um yeah it, 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 it's interesting i remember a lot of guys walking around with joker tattoos after that movie came out and uh, seeing a couple people with that and uh it, it's definitely a, a movie that stuck to everyone's ribs a lot more than uh, you know the majority of Movies in general, but including comic book movies, where, hey, you know, I, I, I loved, uh, I love my comic book movies, but, you know, some of them I'm happy to go see, enjoy, and then not think about again for a while. And uh, Dark Knight was one that uh, there's a lot of sequences in that, especially that uh, wonderful uh, robbery scene at the beginning, where I, I could watch that three times a day um, and never get tired of it. And really, any scene with Heath Ledger as a Joker, uh, really amazing stuff. Well, we'll we'll get you a slot for, for uh, for Dark Knight that we will record in I don't know another year or two. Would love that. Um, so Eric, uh, we are at minute thirty-four. Uh, what what happens in this minute? Well, we're still uh, in the dungeon 
Uh, we're about to leave the dungeon. Um, and I had a very interesting uh, mind, mind screw-up thing with this scene here. So Dale runs over to the hourglass, and she tries to turn it over, and she starts crying that it won't turn over. And I could have sworn my almost my entire life that this was an homage to the scene in Wizard of Oz uh, when the witch, Wicked Witch puts out the sand, the, the hourglass for Dorothy, telling her she's going to die once the sand runs out. And I could have sworn Dorothy did the same exact thing in Wizard of Oz, tries to turn it over, doesn't turn over, cries that it won't turn over. So I googled that, and not only is it not true that Dorothy does not do that, but I found a bunch of other people online that thought the same exact thing that I did, that they swore this was in Wizard of Oz when they saw Flash Gordon, and it didn't happen. And that blew my mind. It's actually called the Mandela effect. Yes. Yeah, people thought Nelson Mandela was dead when he wasn't. Yes. And then, and then there's a lot of things like when, like in Star Wars, the most quoted line that people think is in there, you know, Luke, I am your father. Or also with Star Wars, people swear that they saw a cut of the movie that has the big scene near the beginning of the movie. They swore they saw it, and it just it was never it was never there. They what they were doing was they were taking an image of that scene that had been in the storybook and and in their hazy memory thought that that scene had been in that movie mm, it makes yeah it like there's so many you know instances of this effect taking place like like in this minute and in the previous minute the sound the sand's going in opposite directions and you just don't see it because it's true <laughs> it also made me, it made me think about um you know, we got we got Wizard of Oz, we got Flash Gordon, and I wonder what any other movies that have hourglasses in them. And you know, there's the famous Days of Our Lives opening credit sequence with the sands through the hourglass. So are the Days of Our Lives. And other than that, I, I in googling hourglasses in movies, the only other thing I could find was there's a 1995 movie with C. Thomas Howell and Ed Begley Jr. called Hourglass. I don't know if there's actually an hourglass in it or not, though. Uh-huh. See Tom. First off, see Thomas Howe. Yeah. He, he, there was once upon a time where he was a lead actor. Um, it, he was a major player in the eighties. He was major. Still chugging along. Um, I know he was in the first Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's the dad uh, up on the crane. Yeah, it's like yeah, Soul Man. <laughs> it's like holy crap! I did Soul Man was a movie. There goes. The one thing that I I, you th- I think of when you say hourglass is there was a um, episode of Batman where Batman and Robin were trapped in a giant hourglass. Oh, of course, sure. As stated before, um, th- this uh, Flash Gordon was written by a writer for the Batman, and I would love to know if that episode was out, was written by Semple because uh, it would be funny if it's like do just as a thing for hourglasses. They are visually. <laughs> They film well, uh, and our you know, the, the, the great shape, and it's a great way of like showing the passage of time. And in this movie, of course, with the Flash Gordon having it go ups, uh, upside down, although uh, there's already been discussion about how wash that hourglass close, and sometimes uh, they're not real, uh, may not be as careful with how the sands are going. But uh, it, it is an effective way of sort of telling that story. 
Because like I, I was thinking back to you said the the Wicked Witch. She does have an hourglass with red sand in it, but I had to go back and watch that movie and remember what happens with it. Well, don't ask me because I yeah. obviously don't remember it well at all. Because like you talked about that being trapped in an hourglass. There's also the ever famous scene in Aladdin where Jasmine's trapped in an hourglass, being suffocated by. Oh, good one, good one. Uh, as called out, this minute sort of begins with. Dale, she's trying to turn over the hourglass, and uh, she's acting the hell out of this scene. There's some lady grunts in there, some uh. tears streaming down her face. She's just trying real hard, but I, I did find it funny where when she's going to try to flip it over and says it won't flip, you actually they, they actually do a pretty um, tight close-up where basically shoulders up. They don't show her grabbing the hourglass. It's like, you know what? They probably just didn't have the money to nail that down or forgot to nail it down. It, like you said, it all went into costume design. It's like it's like we can't afford nails. We can't afford anything now. Well, I was gonna say you look at her grip, and it's like it doesn't even look like it's that tight on the on the hourglass. And uh, you know, we we we're on record as saying that we love Melody Anderson. Uh, she she's it's a sort of a th- Dale is sort of a thankless role because she's the good girl. Uh, she gets the unflattering, uh, especially at the beginning of the movie. She she doesn't get the most flattering ha- hairstyle or outfit. Uh, especially the one that's aged poorly. Aura's costumes have aged fantastic because it turns out just like showing a lot of skin doesn't go out of style. But uh, you know, poor, poor Melody Anderson with uh, you know her Century 21 red and white blazer outfit with the big shoulder pads isn't fantastic. And she's, uh, she's given some tough acting work to do here. And this is a sort of a thing where she's looking desperate, trying to flip it over. And then, uh, you know, it's, just acting the hell out of it. It's like, good for you, Melody. Yeah, she's she's acted quite a lot, though. Just looking over her, her on TV, she's got some 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 good credits, quite a few. She's made herself a really nice career. It's easy to make fun of everyone for being in this campy movie, but uh, you know what? She's got a career. She's had a career that a lot of people would uh, do a lot to get, so you know, good for her. Uh, we definitely are not, and we try to point this out, we're not making fun of anyone for... It's easy to make fun of the camp of this movie, but you know, this is a fun movie, and everyone's just really acting the hell out of it, giving giving their all, and everyone seen, a lot of people seem to be having a really good time. And uh, I don't think there's much more you can ask for for perform from performers. Like going over her stu- her stuff, she's been in a lot of good TV show, Logan's Run, Battlestar Galactica, you know, another space drama, and um, you know, she was in TJ Hooker, you know, Chips. She had a little thing on Chips, the A Team. She's basically been in everything that was cool. In like the seventies and eighties, and Manimal, and Manimal, yes, and Manimal. You know, I it's she's had some great areas because you know I I would watch this, and I think Flash Gordon beats Battlestar Galactica. That's just me. <laughs> just you? No, no, no. That's that's most people. Come on. Well, do you also know that Bears beats Battlestar Galactica? Uh, very good. Nice, uh, nice Dwight Schrutism there. So, so Eric, that that leads us into. The rest of the minute, not a whole lot happens here. It's uh, as been pointed out, a lot of drum beats, and uh, it, it starts off with a really nifty ca- camera angle. So we're in the hall where they're going to pr- commit the execution. Just uh, there's Flash, and for some reason that they looks like they put him in a leather diaper. Yeah, I was gonna call out that camera angle also. It's 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 so extreme low angle. It's vertical inducing. Uh, it's just an, an interesting shot. I really liked that shot. And uh, yeah, we got the skull face guys doing the drumming death march. A, a perfect, perfect faced soldiers for for that drum beat. It really shows 
how much the camera loves uh, Maxwell Seidel and uh, Ornella Moody because that's it. You have to really have some good bones in you to make that angle look because otherwise it's going to give you like five extra chins and it's going to go. It's 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 a hard ang- camera angle to pull off, but they look be stunning in it and uh you know it, good for them for for being able to pull that off because and i think uh uh when, when, if anyone were to try to, to ask me to like try to take a picture of me he's like hey i'm gonna take a picture and i'm gonna go to this angle i was like i'm gonna have to break that phone oh it's true it's it is very extreme in some of the angles that they're taking but they like they want this to seem dramatic and the best way to do that is with sometimes with the extreme angles but you know we cut to like that the door opens and then you have you know soldiers stepping out in their coordinated outfits and then you have you know gold destro with the freemason symbol <laughs> on his on his shirt on his robes you know it it seems a little odd you know maybe that's you know what he's actually a part of maybe he's actually from earth and he's actually part of the you know, the Freemasons and the Stonemasons. I'm just saying. He's, he's probably... We do. Glad I'm not the only one thinking of the Stonecutters. <laughs> and, you know, it, I feel like he's actually the Illuminati. That's that's what we're throwing out there. He is the Illuminati in space. Now, you, now, uh, you uh, compared him to Destro, and I know a previous guest made the Doctor Doom comparison. So, uh, and I, I feel like someone might have mentioned Darth Vader also. So, yeah, we're, get, we're getting lots of... Lots of Clytus mask uh, comparisons here. Well, it's this gold mask that kind of just like stands out. I could see Doctor Doom. I don't see so much Darth Vader, but G.I. Joe came out in, you know, the toys in 1964. And, you know, this came out in 1980. So and then, oh, Star Wars came out in, oh, good Lord. 77. 77. So he's either copying, I would say, Darth Vader. Well, it could really could be any of those because all of those came out. Yeah, beforehand. So, Clytus is just a copycat. And since they're in space, he probably saw Darth Vader first. You're probably right. Well, also, Clytus is still wearing his the same thing he wore earlier, but Ming and Aura have changed into formal black attire for the execution. It's nice for them to dress up. Eric, I'm trying to remember, is Clytus... Clytus was... Was he the one that was original character for the movie, or what? Did he exist in the the comic strip beforehand? Yeah, he's created for the movie. Yeah, so uh, yeah, yeah, he could definitely be uh, some some inspiration uh, from uh, all these. Uh, inspiration could be taken from all these different areas. It could because yeah, there is a lot of Doctor Doom there. I I, I would love to know in the seventies, eighties, how much cultural awareness there was of Doom and the Fantastic Four. I don't see the. I guess with Darth Vader, you see it because it is a guy with a heavy mask and an awesome voice. Yeah, I think it's just, yeah, the time, you know, it came out during the original trilogy and, and yeah, the, the the voice. I mean, obviously it's not, it's much more Doctor Doom or Destro. And there's really not really a Darth Vader look there. Well, then we, as they go around and they show different parts of the, I don't know, the onlookers, I feel like Destro does show up. He's just got a big, funny thing, furry black thing on his head and it's... But he's still got he's got his shiny face going on, or maybe that's just uh, Clytus's secret lover. You're talking about the guy that's got like the silver thing on like the cheeks and nose and chin. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a that guy. That, that guy always stood out to me. Actually, guy or girl, honestly, I honestly I can't tell the gender of that person, but yeah, it always stood out to me as just really wacky looking. I know they're going like with these different type of like space characters and and everything, and because you have the 
the guys banging the drums with the skulls on their faces. It's like, who thinks that like wearing that mask is a, was a good idea. So most of these costumes are great, but some of them are just, just, just a little weird. Just like, you know, Ming's like hard hat that he wears on his head that he doesn't quite. <laughs> well, that's his battle armor. To throw it back to, to Dark Knight, it reminds me of a certain person in the fifth element or a fifth element that has a similar thing on his head that with a swath of hair, you know. Um, oh, and I'm blanking on his name. Uh, yeah, uh, of course, uh, I'm blanking as well. And uh, I'm just saying serious black. Yes, serious <laughs> black. Ah. Oh. Well, you know, good thing there's a web. Gary Oldman. Gary Oldman. We all had we all had brain farts in that moment. Good lord, you just won an Oscar but like 15 minutes ago. We're all blanking. <laughs> <laughs> We've already forgotten. Couldn't tell that that was Gary Oldman in that fat suit. Now, how does everyone else feel about Flash's attire in this minute? Because it's, it's like, yeah, it's just a leather diaper. What's going on? Yeah, uh, you know. This is something for the viewers who like to see some beefcake, you know? Us Cheesecake fans got Aura a few minutes ago in her outfit, and now Flash is on full display in his execution briefs. You know, do they have? They had to lend him that um, that diaper, that leather diaper. You know, it just it just seems odd that he's he's in it because, like, why not just let him be executed in his regular clothes? Well, I guess you know. I could see Clytus looking to degrade him, you know, make him feel just, you know, completely vulnerable and, and, you know, trying to embarrass him in his last moments. Yeah. But he's still, if he's trying to, if Clytus is trying to do that, all Flash Gordon has to do one thing is like, at least I don't have to wear a golden mask. (laughs) Yeah. You know, he's, Flash seems comfortable. He's like, eh. I look pretty good. It's like, have you, you know, he's going to start flexing for the ladies. Like, have you seen my beach ball? Did it go that way or that way? Do you like my leather diaper? Oh, okay. You want to change me? That's what you want to do. Just your last moments. Just get weird. <laughs> get involved ba- babyism, baby fetish. Yeah, there you just go. Just get weird with it. <laughs> Ming has his concubines. Clytus has a thing about masks. And the lizard people have a thing about having faces inside their mouths. Yeah, you just really you can't get over those uh, the, the, those snake faces. It's, it's it's still weird. So we haven't talked about uh, the skies yet on Mongo, Brad. Um, and I think this is a good time to finally bring it up because there's some really cool looking sky in the background at one point of this minute. You've got the dark blue clouds flowing. There's a lot of purples. There's some red, yellow, and orange blending together. And Mike Hodges, the director, said that the skies actually had been a very big problem in trying to figure out how they were going to get the skies to look. And they figured it out when they shot jets of ink into water and filmed that. And you can see that, I think, with the blue clouds in this shot. And a very funny story Hodges told once um, early on in our show, we were talking about some of the interesting aspects of Dino De Laurentiis, the producer of this movie, and his little quirks. And Mike Hodges told a story that as they were trying to figure out the skies, Dino De Laurentiis brought in a count from Switzerland to paint the skies. It was very, very eccentric. Hodges didn't know what to do with them. He took four weeks to paint the skies. He unveils this giant painting of the skies. De Laurentiis is just blown away by it. And Mike Hodges has no idea what to do with it. So he just takes the camera pans across it back and forth. I'm not even I couldn't even tell from this interview if Hodges even used the shot in the movie, but all of that with this count from Switzerland 
cost the movie twenty five grand. I could have done that with a can of spray paint. <laughs> I always get a. It's always amazing the the amount of money. First off, it, it's crazy the way Hollywood works, where there's everybody's like earning below the poverty line. All the people who are you know trying to break into Hollywood and trying to make it as actors or uh, set designers or whatever, and nobody gets paid anything. And then you find out about twenty five grand being blown on this you know this skyline or being more recent, there's so much talk about the millions and millions of dollars being spent to take a, to, to remove Superman's mustache. <laughs> and it didn't do a good job. No, no. And then some, I know just recently, as we're recording, they recently had a story where somebody basically used a free or relatively inexpensive uh, online app to do the same thing with better results. It's like, hey, guys, just try that. And there was like, oh, now it doesn't look like he has a weird baby mouth any longer. It's true. That was a one of the bad parts of Justice League. I I enjoyed Justice League. I enjoyed it, but that part just made me cringe a little bit on the inside. Yeah, and uh, Justice League is a movie that could have used a. Um, and I, I liked it as well. Uh, I, I surprised how much I liked it, although it was a bit of a mess at times. Justice League was a movie that could have used a little bit of Flash Gordon. It could have used some brighter colors, some uh, pop, some some music that it was a little more inspiring and fun it's a comic book movie and dc and a lot of this started with dark knight dark knight was wonderful that trilogy was wonderful but the whole idea was like you know having a more realistic as realistic as you can get while having a billionaire dresses a bat fighting crime but going with a grittier feel for it and that's great and i don't need to tell you jake the dark knight movies were excellent but that doesn't mean that every movie should be the dark knight and none of them, and it and it can't be that way because you know it's you're going in different stories, different arcs, and you know so many different eras, and it's just like you can't base one movie off of the other because then you see then you get kind of get the crappy ripoffs, like um oh there's like a movie theater company that puts out like super crappy ripoffs because like there's Pacific Rim and now there's Atlantic Rim, and now there's like. All that other stuff. So, like, I feel like Justice League could have used, like you said, a little bit more Flash Gordon, a little bit more brighter colors, because it's it's not that type of Batman movie. It's it's supposed to be, you know, like I said, with magic and mysticism and aliens that fly around that shoot laser beams or heat vision out of their eyes. And you figured that they would take a little bit on that. And so, again, enjoyed the film, but it could have used a little bit more tender, loving care. A little more fun. And, you know, Eric, we've been talking about Flash Gordon for a while now, and uh, there's one thing that you can say, and there's some things that you can validly criticize Flash Gordon for, but nobody could ever say that this movie is not fun. Uh, Listen, this has been one of my top five, six favorite movies since I was a little kid, and the number one reason probably is it's such a fun movie. My only other thing is, uh, Jarv just briefly mentioned this yesterday, Um, we have uh, the next song on the soundtrack started yesterday, uh, continues today. It's called In the Death Cell, parentheses, love theme reprise. Uh, it's the song that played earlier in the movie in the capsule when they're first flying through space. And this is a Roger Taylor written song. Good song. Really, this minute is a little bit of action at the beginning, but the rest of it is just some slow walking and that music. And uh, th- th- this movie does such a great job of focusing on the music and leaning into it. And uh, it-, it helps build the tension. And listen, we all know Flash is going to be fine, but th- there is some, weirdly, there is tension in this minute. So, uh, you know, good for them on that. 
Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, Jake, what, what else? Did you have anything else to call out for this minute? Um, just when they're banging on the drums and they're in their robes, I just thought of Monty Python and the Holy Grail with the guys hitting their faces <laughs> with the tablets. First time seeing Monty Python and the Holy Grail, and it was in college. And I was like, you see the beginning, I was like, what the hell is this? And then that was probably, I believe that happened very, very early in the movie. And I think that was like my first laugh. Just like, oh, this is some British slapsticky stuff is in here along with whatever else there is. And I was like, oh, okay, I can really laugh at this because at first it's like, well, it's British and it's nights. Is this serious? What's going on? So uh, that is a good call out. Well, uh, Jake, this has been fun uh, again, and we're going to finish up tomorrow. Uh, having a lot of lot of fun talking with you, and uh, you, you're definitely throwing out some great references, and we always appreciate that. Uh, where can people hear more of your uh, non-sequitur goodness? <laughs> uh, you can find me at Dark Knight Min um, on Twitter. You can find us on most podcasts catchers at dark night minute um you can find us on facebook at our league of listeners page where we discuss batman and i post a lot of fun pictures and um like how to find what your batman name is go check it out and uh you can also find us on geek mind fusion where we have movie reviews um and video game reviews and along with all of our episodes there as well so yeah if you can't find us there then you know you're probably in ming's dungeon (laughs) <laughs> probably with the snake people Eric where can people find out more about Flash Gordon Minute uh, you can chat with us on Facebook in the Flash Gordon Minute listeners vortex you can hang with us on Twitter at Flash Gordon Pod and you can email us at Flash Gordon Minute at gmail.com I recommend everyone do so please rate and review us uh we, we, we love to hear uh, what we're doing right. And, uh, you know, if, if there's something else you want to hear us uh, talk about or something, uh, we, we also take constructive criticism. But, you know, we were pretty damn close to perfect, so I'm not expecting too much of that. Uh, this has been another great minute. Looking forward to uh, doing this all again tomorrow. But it's, a, it's not all... Uh, it's not all wine and roses, Eric. I sort of have a, I sort of have a thing weighing on me. A thing. A thing. You know, I had to stop by the insurance agent today, uh, fill out some paperwork because of uh, changing houses, and uh, he sp- said, "By the way, you know, we have three kids now, so it might be time to uh, bump your insurance policy." And I told my wife what I'm now covered for, and uh, you know, I, I can see her doing a calculation. In her head is like. I don't know if he's he's worth more to me alive than dead. And uh, I, I, I don't know how to feel about that. Ah, well, if you're really worried that it turns out you're actually living in the latest Lifetime movie of the week as your wife surreptitiously starts dropping things in front of your feet and stuff like that, don't worry about it. Flash will save every one of us. Attention listeners! You can follow us on Twitter at FlashGordonPod and join the conversation on Facebook in the Flash Gordon Minute Listener's Vortex. Stay tuned for our next thrilling episode of Flash Gordon Minute.
Your face.